Hello there, I'm Russ Lynch, a director at Power School, and welcome to the latest edition of our Friday Fix podcast. The chaos in financial markets since the Chancellor's mini-budget prompted plenty of questions from clients looking to make sense of the mayhem and the political fallout. Hence, we assembled a panel of economics and political experts, including Larry Elliott, economics editor of The Guardian, Maureen Khan, economics editor of The Times, and Becca Park, senior practice director at Consultant Global Council, to give us the verdict on prospects for the economy and whether the PM's plans for growth can succeed. I'll start with Larry. I think are we just coming into your fifth recession as an economics journalist, Larry, if I'm counting right? What do financial markets make of this? Uh, OBR's at a rescue? How do you see it playing out? Well, it's clearly the worst received budget I've ever covered, and I've covered quite a few in my time. And you know, on the day, I said that to the Guardian news conference that this was a gamble in three ways. It was an economic gamble, a political gamble, and a financial markets gamble. And in the 10 days or less than two weeks since the mini budget, two of those risks have crystallised. The financial markets have gone absolutely ballistic last week and sold off the pound and gilts. Uh, And the politics of it have completely unravelled. And the higher interest rates that will result from the financial market turbulence are going to slow down the economy. And what the Tories are actually done what Trust has actually done is make a, a recession more likely and actually lower growth prospects rather than raise them. Thanks for that, Larry. Um, should we go over to Maureen? Larry touched on it there, but what are the prospects for the UK economy now? Worse, better, recession, interest rate rises? Around an hour before the budget, there were very strong rumours that the 45p income tax would be abolished. And I remember looking at my editor and saying this is going to be very, very bad. And if if a group of journalists with not that much financial skin in the game knew that it was going to go down like a bucket of cold sick with the financial markets, you wonder why the Chancellor didn't have, or the people around him didn't have the same reaction. The big unanswered question, and maybe something we're going to hear a little bit from Trust today, is how to plug that gap. Um, you know, we're talking about unfunded uh, tax cuts, they're not unfunded in the sense they will become through borrowing, but how do we stabilise the public finances in the medium term? And now the question is about whether the dreaded A word and austerity is going to be a, a lived reality for many people in the next generations coming forward. But the markets still seem to think we're going to have a 100 basis point rise from the Bank of England uh, on November the 3rd, which is also pretty unprecedented if you think the bank has taken it pretty steady compared to the Fed and even the ECB. So it's, it's asking questions about the institutions who govern our economy. We don't have those answers yet. I think the short term, we have to say the prospects for the economy are not looking good. Cheering words, Marie. Thank you. Over to Becca. Um, you, like Larry, had a flavour of the uh, Conservative Party conference. Uh, I was wondering what your thoughts were on the political life expectancy of Liz Truss and, you know, is the Tory party ungovernable now? We're under three weeks into a new Conservative government, a new Conservative leader, 12 years in the, the party sort of standing of power. And, you know, that should mean we were going into a mini fiscal event with very kind of clear policy outcomes and a strong bounce going into party conferences. And, you know, party conferences traditionally for the Conservative Party, a moment to set out multiple policy announcements and multi-policy commitments, particularly for your new ministers. This was your moment to have uh, Therese Coffey setting out her vision for the health service, the Chancellor building on his plan for growth and maybe showing some ankle on what those supply side reforms were going to be, maybe even providing a bit of detail on what Big Bang 2.0 might actually look like. And instead, we've had a party conference that's been worse than duck and cover. We've never seen a Western democracy in government decline 33 points in the polls in the way that this Tory government has. We've had something of a polling extravaganza over the last 10 days. I think we're now in excess of 15 polls since the mini fiscal event. 
and all of them are averaging in excess of 18, 22 points uh, defeats for the Conservative Party. Now, there is no mechanism right now for the Conservatives to go through the 1922 process again. That might be something we're all thankful for right now in terms of political uncertainty and the instability that would create. And I think if I had one takeaway from the party conference season, it's everyone leaving Labour felt that the government's mini budget had given Labour the space to start putting clear water between the two parties around fiscal responsibility and repositioning Labour as a part of fiscal responsibility. But also it gave Labour discipline and unity. And there was certainly a huge optimism coming out of Liverpool for, for activists, for members, but also business was at Liverpool in a scale we haven't seen at Labour for an incredibly long time. And they were coming away with an interesting take on the top line to view that this was a government in waiting they would need to start engaging with, talking to, preparing for and understanding. Now, there was one message kind of I was hearing from MPs, from members, from activists, which was next time they plan to be in Birmingham in two years, they don't expect to be in power. Do you think it's sustainable for the office, for the government to uh, delay the Office for Budget Responsibility statement until the 23rd of November? Or will the markets determine that he brings it forward? I'll go for Larry first. I think it probably would have been sustainable had they not floated the idea that they were going to bring it forward earlier this week. Now that they've actually put the idea out there, unless they do it, they're going to pay a market price for it. It's incredibly inept. I mean, it was inept of them in the first place not to have had an OBR report for the mini budget, which they could have had. Now, you know, last week, the things were stabilised on Thursday and Friday, partly because the Bank of England stepped in to buy gilts and partly because there was the perception that the OBR was going to get involved. So you had you know, Richard Hughes and his colleagues marching up Downing Street and the optics of that were obvious that the grown ups were, were back in charge. The confusion will have to be resolved by bringing the date forward. I don't think there's any alternative for the government now, unless it wants to see even further turbulence in the markets, the, the recent rally in Sterling go into reverse and guilt yields spiking higher with all that means for long-term interest rates, mortgage rates, company borrowing and so on. Marie, does it change the thinking of the Bank of England, for example, who's got their, they've got their next decision on the 3rd of November? Do you think that they would like to see the OBR statement before then? Yes, uh, exactly. to... and I think the market would also want the bank to have the OBR's statement. Even if we don't get an OBR, the bank will have to put out a pretty comprehensive outlook for uh, the medium term prospects of the economy because it's updating its sort of um, monetary policy report or its inflation report. So the bank will have to plug in its numbers, come out with an inflation forecast, which will be drastically different from what they delivered in August when fam infamously they predicted a 15 month recession. So, you know, it, the OBR question uh, is around, but we know for certain that we will get some sort of credible economic analysis or questionable, whatever way you want to think about it, which the market will have to uh, react to and probably price in going forward. There's, of course, the bigger issue about the Northern Ireland Protocol. So this sort of trend that uh, Liz Truss is the sort of prime minister who um, isn't too uh, afraid to throw the UK's inter international agreements in the bin and sort of question some of the pillars of its independent economic governments. And then you add things like the sacking of Tom Scholar and not having an OBR report onto that. And that sort of creates a much more of a negative cloud around the UK's long-term sort of, you know, uh, stability, the things that, you know, we've all sort of taken for granted and which the markets have always given us discretion over suddenly came into question. Anything that they can do to try and recalibrate rates down and the cost of mortgage borrowing down prior to the monetary decision in November has to be politically vital for the Conservatives right now. Uh, the Labour Party have done an incredibly good job of 
articulating this idea of a, a quasi premium or a trust premium on people's interest rates when it comes to mortgages. And if the middle classes are doing nothing but talking about their mortgage rates, which is pretty clear from the situation right now, the Conservative Party has a huge problem. And I think if there was a feeling that bringing forward the fiscal event can help in that space, they have to try and spike that Labour narrative because the entire justification for the growth plan and or acting swiftly and acting without OBR statements was we had to bring an emergency energy package forward. And if you've inadvertently wiped that energy package out for any mortgage owner or homeowner through the increased price in the in the mortgage next year, if they have, you know, we've got 1.8 million households remortgaging next year, you've not got the political capital. <laughs> um, you've not got the political capital to be able to cut through with that narrative. So I think anything they can do in that space and bringing forward the fiscal event, maybe one of those things has to still be on the table. Effectively, you know, as you say, this the, the, the actions of the government have cost you an extra half a percent on your five year fixed mortgage. So are we going too far to say that this is the Black Wednesday moment? I appreciate from economic terms it's different to Black Wednesday, but I think from a political perspective, yes, this goes to the heart of economic credibility. I'm old enough to have actually covered Black Wednesday, so I'm, uh, <laughs> I was there at the time. Uh, and in some ways, it's in some ways it's not it's not the same, but in other ways it is the same. The way it's not the same is that that at that in on the September '92, Britain was defending a fixed parity against the against all the other against the Deutsche Mark essentially and we were blown out of that we blown off that fixed exchange rate by the speculation I mean Black Winter was a sort of was a sort of you know traumatic day for the Bank of England for the Treasury I and mean, interest rates started the day at 10 percent and by the end of the day they were due to go up to 15 percent the following morning and you know it, it wasn't just an incremental change in people's mortgage rates people were going to be thrown out of their homes they were mortgages were unaffordable so it, it was a, it was a it was a real day of national humiliation to, to, for the bank to be skewered by George Soros and his mates. So it, th in, in that sense, we, we're not defending a fixed parity these days. We have a floating exchange rate. Doesn't really matter that much whether sterling goes down to 105 or even parity against the dollar. It, it, it doesn't have the same impact. But in terms of the financial turbulence, I mean, it does have the same credibility problems. The fact that the government seems to have lost control. And I think that's the, that's that's the risk for trust that you know, the economy might well start to improve a bit next year as inflation comes down, but is the government going to get very much credit for it? I somewhat doubt it. Is there a way that Trust can achieve what she's trying to do successfully? What is she trying to do? I mean, if we give her a generous interpretation, she wants to lift growth, long-term growth and productivity in the economy. Um, the ways that the levers that the government has used so far has primarily been around tax cuts. We haven't heard more about the raft of other supply side uh, reforms they want to do. We're still waiting on uh, the migration regime, as Rebecca also mentioned, financial services. Uh, we've heard a little bit about investment zones, so sort of a repackaged version of free ports. There's a lot of questions about whether this actually works in terms of raising overall growth and productivity or just shuffling it around the country and not necessarily, um, you know, providing the benefits she thinks it does, but I think ideologically it suits a trust mindset to, um, you know, create a, almost a US style regulatory competition within regions in the UK um, that they can outcompete each other and therefore become uh, competitive and grow as a result of it. Can she achieve it? I mean, the line now seems to be that that the problem is not the policy, it's the timing. That actually this is an economic experiment that can work, uh, but we actually underestimated that in a high inflationary, high interest rate environment, it 
actually work. There are a couple of factors that happened in the 1980s, which the UK, I don't think, has the advantage of now. We had an economic miracle, which was the discovery of North Sea oil. It made the economy incredibly rich. We were among the top five oil major energy producers in the world. Um, can fracking produce that benefit? I think it's a very, very big doubt that it can. And even if it does, this stuff sort of happens, as we know, with a delay of 10 to 15 years. Larry, I imagine you have a slightly different interpretation of the Thatcher era. Um, but is there any way through for trusts here on the supply side revolution? Well, I, I, I mean, I don't think it's going to work because I don't really think it's addressing the long term supply side constraints on the economy, which are, you know, really skills, low investment, you know, the whole low productivity, low wage, low skill economy. I don't think anything that Truss is proposing changes that. And I agree with Maureen that, you know, the, the, the 1980s is not a good example to follow because there were two big things that Thatcher did in the 1980s. She smashed the trade unions and she privatised quite a lot of industry. And that, you know, that, that's not going to happen this time. Uh, I, I have some sympathy for trust in that clearly the economy is not working. I, I agree fundamentally with her view that economic orthodoxy needs to be challenged because economic orthodoxy has brought us 10 or 12 years of very low growth, low productivity. What I think the tragedy is of the last couple of weeks is that any attempt to challenge that orthodoxy has now gone out of the window. The orthodoxy has bitten back in a very big way. Just uh, Becca on, on that topic, given the uh, government's by-election issues last year on planning, exactly, it's, just, it's not going to be an easy ride to do any of this, is it? Well, no, and I think that's potentially the risk here on, on supply side reform. I mean, I, I fully agree, actually, with the comments around, you know, the challenge you know, is timing from a kind of an economic, an economic perspective. Was this the right policy now when we, we don't have a clear output gap in the economy? But equally, you know, if we look at the eight areas around childcare, business regs, housing, migration, mobile, energy, agriculture, and financial services. None of these are without political challenge. You know, Boris Johnson was already defeated on an attempt to reform planning. Trust wants to go into to Tory heartland on planning issues and, you know, touch the sacred green belts. I've already had several MPs who were responsible for the last decline of the planning policy make it very clear to me they will do everything in their power to block this government's attempted planning reforms. So you see that being chipped away. We're already seeing Jacob Rees-Mogg's agenda being challenged and challenged around working regulations. And, you know, he's having to pull back on some of his more sort of out there ideas, if I could phrase it like that. But even again on financial services, it feels at best like tinkering. The cliche of politics is uh, first learned to count. I'm just wondering, like, do we have a, effectively a zombie government? So are we about to enter into a period of stasis? I, th I think it's unclear. I mean, there was an argument that the 45p had to be scrapped because actually they did look at the numbers and realised it's not going to get through anyway. So it, it was sort of preemptive a uh, way to sort of swerve that embarrassment. Um, we spoke about Boris a little bit. I, I heard somebody, I think it was Craig Oliver, who used to work for Cameron, saying that he thinks Boris's chances of making a Churchillian return, they do have a majority, of course, as we all wrote in 2017, which is big, but actually in a 70 plus majority, you only need to lose around about 30 seats. And then suddenly you're in an area where you don't have those majorities anymore. So it's actually much more, I think, uncomfortable um, than we realise. And uh, we know that uh, Labour are reaching across the aisle and trying to get uh, as much support as possible in every area possible to make life difficult for trust. So there is an unholy alliance, I think, coalescing uh, against her. Even though the markets seem to be calming down, I think the uh, the political headaches are only just beginning. We wrap things up there, but thanks for listening. And a big thank you again to our participants for taking part. 
If you want to hear the full unedited version of the webinar, please head to the Powerscourt website. Have a good weekend.